this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Warning, the following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, and for our lives. We've had a lot of issues today in the country. Pardon me for a second. Thank God for cough buttons, right? Uh, we've had a lot of issues uh, today uh, with Hurricane Ian, or Ian, uh, it, that made landfall in southwest Florida as a Category 4 storm. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said Thursday that st- the storm surge that came with it was basically a 500-year flood event. We've never seen a flood event like this during a news, he said during a news briefing today in Tallahassee. We'll, we've never seen a storm surge of this magnitude. More than 2.5 million people across the state were without power as search and rescue teams and first responders assessed the historic damage. Large sections of the Sanibel Causeway. By the way, Sanibel, outside of Fort Myers, beautiful vacation area. It's also featured in the children's book, Good Night, Florida. Uh, one of the uh, best seashell gathering areas in North America. Uh, I went there with my family a number of years ago. And we had to stay, we had a storm up here in New York, and we had to stay a hellish three more days in Sanibel. I mean, it was horrible hanging out there on the beach and everything else. But anyway, I was jokingly say that it was a beautiful area. Uh, hopefully, they're going to be able to recover. Uh, I was asked today, you now, because right now, I'm, I live my life in, like, flashbacks. If you're familiar with the old Highlander series, all right, the movies and the TV series with, uh, with Duncan McLeod and Connor McLeod. Uh, no, Connor McLeod was uh, played by... Uh, no, uh, yeah. They were played by Christopher Lambert, and the name escapes me for the second one. But anyway, everything seems like a flashback. And as I recall, back in the early 90s, Homestead, Florida was destroyed by a hurricane. Basically, it took two to three years to get back in there. I will uh, probably have some updates on there from my nephew, who lives in that area of the country, who is an electrician. Uh, every time one of these storms comes through, he gets a lot of work out of it. So hopefully we could... Got some more information on the ground. As far as I know, uh, no one in our Safety FM family of hosts was uh, too seriously adversely affected by that, uh, as far as I know. I'm sure we'll find out more information in the days coming. Here's something out of London. Does every day of your life feel exactly the same with these years just flying by? Are you on autopilot? It a study out of England says that it turns out on average ad- the adults spend more than 10 years of their life on autopilot, autopilot, following the same routines and rituals every day, according to a survey. A quarter of the 2,000 British adults polled admit that they often drift through as much as five or more hours a day without any real thought about what they're doing. And it, no, it equates to a lot of... Uh, Hours and days of doing things. Now, 
what, what I'm commenting on this. One thing that they failed to do to really realize here, and uh, we talk about in the human and organizational performance all the time, HOP, is performance modes. When uh, for a review, you have three work performance modes. You have the lack of knowledge mode, you have the rules mode, and then you have the skills mode. And when you set up a work area and you are doing things, you want low attention to task and high familiarity with the task because that yields to the most safe workplaces, the least amount of errors, because we all know that accidents are primarily caused by human error. And that human error could be could take the form of many, many, many different things. Now, what happens is if you're going to uh, be high familiarity with a task, low attention to tasks, that is what we call autopilot. That is what this survey is describing. So what do you mean? I usually start out my classes well, how did you get here? And most of the time, unless I'm working in uh, Jersey City or Newark or New York or some major city, the uh, answer is is that they drive in. And we get some new employees there. We get some new people. We get some, some people not familiar. I said, well, how many people made a wrong turn getting here today? And some people will raise their hand and they'll admit it. I said, well, how many times have you been here? There's like first time here, I blew by the venue. You get some longtime uh, people there. They're like, well, you know, I just came here. I don't know. I said, well, what happened? Describe your right. I don't know what happened. But the reality is, is that they're familiar with the task, right? Very familiar, low attention. They're getting in. They're in actually in the safest mode possible. So in a way, this autopilot thing may not be so bad depending on your situation with that. You want no, your error rates for that, human error rates, are something, are ridiculous. I'm not going to throw numbers out there because then it's going to be, well, Jim Polzel said blah, 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 blah. No, then we're not going to do that. But that's how you want to set up your work area where it's nice and safe. And what happens, if I could go uh, skip ahead a little bit, if you're dealing in a disaster situation like our people are going to be dealing with down in Florida, what happens? That uh, disaster situation, uh, you're not going to be able to, probably not going to be able to get into that mode of work where everything is going to be, you're going to be making decisions uh, for whatever you're doing, whatever your job is, whatever you're doing. And when you are making decisions, that, and you have to make decisions, your error rate's going to be a lot higher. Because you're making decisions. It's going to be 10 times roughly the error rate than for what we just described. And what we are afraid of is when you go into a working environment, especially with disasters, that you have what is called the knowledge mode. You're in the knowledge mode. And that is roughly 500 times more error-related than the rules mode uh, thing. And these are not exact numbers, of course. But... This is basically, if you go in there and you don't know what you're doing, guess what? You're going to have a problem. But you can remedy this. How can you remedy this? We give training on disaster response here. We are going to be covering some stuff with personal protective equipment again today. And then tomorrow, we're going to perhaps do the most controversial of all PPE, respiratory protection.
that we're going to have a discussion on. Here's another story. The FDA announces a new definition of what's healthy. The Food and Drug Administration announced new rules on Wednesday for nutrition labels that can that go on the front of food packages to, include, to indicate that they are quote-unquote healthy, and I have air quotes here. Under the proposal, manufacturers can label their products healthy if they contain a meaningful amount of food from at least one of the food groups or subfood groups. And that goes on. And, you know, I'm sure that's going to go through some uh, updating, some changing, and whatever else as we go along here. But essentially, they're changing that. I think it's, this is what the thing is, what's healthy. Very difficult to define. So, for example, if you are a normal person with a normal metabolism, you may have certain definitions of what exactly is healthy. Let's say that you are pre-diabetic or diabetic. I can tell you what, those cereals out there that are lab- or that people are uh, perceive are healthy, diabetic eats those things, you may have a blood sugar issue. All right? You may have a blood sugar issue because you have to avoid carbohydrates or at least regulate and uh, self-care. And it's a very big and uh, complicated thing to regulate your diet if you're a diabetic because what works for one diabetic may not work with another diabetic. And it all depends on what type of diabetic you are, type 1 or type 2, or as someone, uh, as a study a couple of years labeled, that there's actually, if you really want to get down to it, you have two major groups of diabetes, type 1, type 2, but then you have a whole number of subcategories on there. Insulin dependent, non-insulin dependent, you know, medica- medi- medication, uh, 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 you know, uh, managed, the whole long line. But anyway, I digress. But what the thing is, you need to consult with your doctor you have to, and your health care provider on exactly what is healthy for you. Because what's healthy for me may not be healthy for you. And when you're doing disaster planning or safety planning, uh, when you're doing disaster planning, you have to figure out what exactly your the needs are for your workforce. So, for example, your workforce may have uh, needs that are may have needs that are uh, very significantly different than anything else, than uh, everybody else. So, for example, in my neighborhood, what uh, we have a lot of Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox Jewish people here. They're, they have different dietary needs, uh, kosher, and then specifically what kind of kosher. There are several different kinds uh, of kosher out there. You have to realize that. Do you have vegans on your, in your workplace. Not allowed to know that all they is vegetables. I know of a couple, a one vegan where she's not allowed to eat raw food, any raw food. So, so you figure, oh, well, what do you mean? You mean a crudite, right? She and I have celery. She can't have that. No, she cannot have that. So it's important that you go and you assess this with your, whoever you're responsible for, what their dietary needs are. The other thing is this, um, we had mentioned this on the podcast before we got into the live radio thing. With food, how do you prepare for a disaster? You get the food that you normally eat. 
I would hate to find out what would happen if you have picky eaters and then you go out and you have a problem. You're in a disaster. Now they, none of them like the food that you're eating. That 25-year-old survival food that you've been, uh, been sitting in your uh, garage for uh, 10 years, they may not like that. <laughs> and now you're dealing with the stress of a disaster. Then you have to deal with that situation. Now for a story that's completely the opposite, right? The completely the opposite. McDonald's today has said that they are going to be issuing or uh, introducing the ta- cactus plant flea market box, which is uh, a first of a, that's described as a first of its kind collaboration made exclusively for McDonald's fans by one of the most important brands in culture. I never heard of this place, but I'm okay. I'll take it. I don't hear about a lot. I've lived a very sheltered life, right? It, it all starts with the box, which has been totally redesigned in cactus plant flea market signature style, long Mickey D's iconic golden arches. The box will be available. Essentially, what is this? And I'll have figurines. This is a happy meal for adults. And who could be against a happy meal? It makes you happy. Yes, it makes you happy. And we're all going to be happy because we have a happy meal. Here's an update to the story from yesterday. This is more or less about the Ukrainian war. Because right now, we have a situation that's a little bit... saying this. I don't think anybody knows exactly what's going on and I think there needs to be an investigation and an open and frank investigation. Right now they're saying, well, it's sabotage. Okay, prove it's sabotage. Right now, this is what I know. It's impacting the environment in that area of the world, along with the Ukrainian war. War impacts the environment really negatively. And things got to be figured out. I'm not going to believe anything with this until I see an actual report with photos that is reliable. Well, uh, we're going to take a small break here, and here we go. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, 
and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's Safety Today. I'm back. My volume was turned down here. Okay. So going back with lawnmowers, right? Uh, there's a lot of uh, in the Midwest. OSHA has identified. Uh, 35 workers that have died since 2019 with lawnmower roller incidents. Commercial riding lawnmowers can weigh up to 1,500 pounds. One of the things is that most of these landscapers do not train their employees. They have no clue on what how to work safe or anything else. Whatever they pick up is through experience or from another coworker. This is a problem. This is absolutely a problem out there. With uh, uh, with things. So my the thing, and I had a little technical issue here, uh, is with gas cans. You want to talk about a dangerous piece of equipment, a dangerous item, is a gas can. Most of the gasoline cans that carry gasoline fuel, in this country at least, most of them, if not all of them, are... Plastic. That's not really legal to use at work are the plastic gas cans. And they usually have more than 25 gallons, which is another problem of fuel in these portable containers. A friend of mine ended up was filling up a, a generator with one of them, and the vapors caught on fire. What's missing on those? The flash suppressors are the first things that go missing on any of these things. And uh, what ended up happening was he ended up lighting himself on fire and it was horrific injuries. And what, what is this? Safety training. You got to, if you're responsible for a young adult, teenager, whatever, that would behoove you to go, since they're the ones who are the most, that seem to be the most abused, the most unknowledgeable, uh, hey, they may know everything. Believe me, I've heard everything. I, I'm so smart, you're stupid, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, they're teenagers. That's what you're going to hear from them. And now you have an issue with, now you may have an issue with them, with the uh, with them getting injured. And guess what? They're not going to know anything about workers' comp. They're not going to know anything like that. And chances are, if you're the parent, they're going to send them home hurt, and then you're going to have to, pay for it yourself, and then commit insurance fraud saying that he got he or she got hurt at home. Uh, one of the, it's one of those things. Young workers, not trained, don't know what they're doing or anything else. Now they have an issue. Going back to our one of our earlier stories, U.S. Department, by the way, you can get the training by going on to OSHA.gov, uh, seeing, and there is also a network called Safety FM. You might have heard of it. Uh, there are many, many different uh, programs on safety on here. Give any one of us a call, but you can give me a call at 845-269-5772. Uh, 
or at jim at safetywords.com. Last night I had a listener co- uh, uh, contact me. I spoke to him at length. He had an issue at one of his job sites, and we're going to be uh, working uh, with him to resolve that issue uh, with that. With that, uh, And guess what? They, his company wants to implement human and organizational performance. Ooh, isn't that neat? And uh, they're going to hopefully be using us and our resources for that. The U.S. Department of Labor urges first responders, recovery crews, and the public to be vigilant, protect themselves from hazards in Hurricane Ian recovery. Atlant, uh, this is out of the Atlanta area office. USDRL uh, OSHA reminds its first responders, those involved in rescue and recovery efforts and residents in areas affected by Hurricane Ian, or Ian, to be vigilant and protect themselves from the many hazards that flooding, power loss, structural damage, fallen trees, and storm debris may create. And storm recovery efforts may involve hazards related to storing electricity and communications, removing debris, repairing water damage, repairing or replacing roofs. You should have saw some of those videos out there. Uh, One house, they had it in uh, almost real time. The entire roof came off in one shot. You know, and like on one piece, right? Replacing roofs and trimming trees. Only individuals with proper training, equipment, and experience should conduct recovery and cleanup activities. What uh, protective measures after the weather should include evaluating the work area, right? Assessing the stability of structures and walking surfaces, ensuring fall protection when working on elevated surfaces, assuming all power lines are live. Offering chainsaws, portable generators, ladders, and other equipment properly, and using PPE. What does it come down to? There are many resources out there. We give disaster response worker training all the time, right? In some forms. Sometimes the official training, usually not the official, it's part of the 40 hour HASWAPER course, because those folks are usually involved in some type of emergency response, it could be anything. And uh, guess what? Hazardous material spills in a disaster are, um, are a thing, right? We did uh, under my previous company, uh, which uh, I will mention the name, but under my previous company, we did most of the training on the Gulf oil spill cleanup. As a reminder, OSHA, FEMA, and some of the other government agencies have extensive resources on disaster recovery. So if you're involved in disaster recovery out there, uh, make sure you fill out and you get in with FEMA and all the other government resources now, not later. I've been through this already uh, with a, with a, a, a flood that we had in my house uh, due to Hurricane Ida last year. That you have to get those. You have to get on board immediately. Do not wait uh, with that. And if you don't do that, you're asking for problems with that. And uh, be careful. Beware of scams. All the scams are going to come out. They came out every time that there's a disaster. There's some kind of a scam. For the financial news for today, the. Dow, uh, we'll get to Dow Jones in a minute. I did not write it down. Now, gold is up at 1673.90, up $2.90. Silver, 
is at 19.14, up 14 cents. Platinum is holding steady at 8.94, it's fell 30 cents. Palladium, 2,245, it fell $2.10. Bitcoin is up by 84.50, trading at 19.497. Ethereum is at 13.32, dropped 6.96. Crude oil dropped slightly today, 88.49. Today's national average for regular gasoline, uh, according to AAA, is $3.78. Home heating oil in New York Harbor is 328, and low sulfur diesel is 346. Uh, well, I don't get it. They, this is how they list things with my sources: New York Harbor, San Francisco, Gulf Coast. I'm choosing. I'm just using New York, and everything else is pretty much in the uh, in the uh, uh, ballpark here. So. We're going to take a little break here, and I'll see you at the end of the break. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial in. And we are back with Safety Wars and our main story. We're going to be talking about more people. So as a reminder, you could call us up. We have an annual safety meeting. Uh, where we write 52 safety meetings for your organization and are tailor-made for your organization. You give us a little call back at 845-269-5772 for more information or contact us at jim at safetywars.com. Tonight, what are we talking about? We talked about the other night's hand protection, last night foot protection. Today, we're going to talk about eye protection. So... What do we have with well, eye protection? Usually people say, ah, I, I'm, it's, I don't have to wear eye protection. It's along the lines of this. You have to do what we always do, follow the hierarchy of control. So you're going to try to eliminate eye hazards. Then you're going to uh, try to engineer those uh, eye hazards. I'm sorry. You're going to eliminate them then substitute one hazard for another. Then engineer it out, put a barrier guarding, things of that nature, then administrative controls, and then lastly, PPE. Usually with eye protection, we go right to PPE almost every time, even if you have all the other controls in place, because if they fail, the last thing, okay, they fail, but at least you're wearing safety glasses or appropriate eyewear, and you're not going to, uh, no, that's the last line of defense. Some things I want to get... Uh, through, right, and make the thing. 
I protect safety glasses, not like what they had in the old days. In the old days, we used to have what were called BC glasses. That's what they used to call them. It's from a military term that my brother always used to say, they were wearing the BC glasses. And he would he would swear, I got to wear the BC glasses. And what they stood for was birth control because no woman would ever want to go out with you with those glasses on. All right? That was the joke. Ha, ha, ha. 1970s, that was the joke. But anyway, what you want is a pair, and they have to be ANSI Z87.1 approved, regardless of the glasses. Now, the other question is, what kind of tint do we need? Well, it all depends, and there are different types. So, for example, gray would be for outdoor and uh applications uh right and then you may have uh indoor outdoor glasses where they uh it's like a transition lens but they work for both indoor and outdoor then you have gold blue and silver for whatever makes you comfortable out there right whatever makes you look cool and then you have the brown slash espresso for outdoor applications and then you have the vermilion rose which is uh, uh, for uh, often for inspectors wear those. They're like rose-colored, right, glasses, the, uh, like they used to say. And then the amber, which usually is in low-height, low-light activities. You have amber glasses. Now, what's you have to find out what's appropriate for what you're doing, and you could also have, right, so right now, I always recommend, because it's uh, for self-sealing eyewear or gasketed eyewear, safety glasses that are gasketed, because those safety glasses are going to be the ones that, uh, those, sorry about that, those are the glasses that are going to be the ones that uh, give you the most protection, in my opinion. We did a study at one of the projects that I was on we were doing a huge shutdown, a.k.a. turnaround, and we were able to reduce the eye injuries from first aids by about 90% and basically eliminated all eye injuries with gasket of the eyewear. You have to figure out what you're doing. Are you going to need chemical goggles or dust goggles, something like that? Again, all those, the safety glasses and uh, dust goggles, all that, are... ANSI Z87.1 approved. If they're not Z87.1 approved, they're not safety glasses at all. So uh, the people that go out there with the uh, fashionable glasses, I'm not going to mention the brand, they used to say, well, these are better than ANSI. And because that's what everybody used to say, they're better than ANSI. And even the manufacturer was saying, well, these are better than ANSI. Well, then we had this thing called the internet and a couple of lawsuits, and they put on their website, hey, these are not ANSI-approved glasses, blah, 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 blah. You should still, they are not sent out for testing. They're not blah, blah, blah. So the big difference is they're sent out for testing. Face shields are not impact protective, and you still need to wear safety glasses or goggles underneath it. That's according to the ANSI standard for this stuff. Uh, and the ANSI standard, which I recommend every safety professional get, pretty much has everything in writing as to what appropriate eyewear versus what job you're doing. And, of course, you do have the welding shields. The welding shields are extensive. It depends on what your uh, wattage is, your electrode size, 
uh, your uh, what kind of welding you're doing, things of that nature. And, but generally speaking, they give uh, uh, no the higher the number, not generally the higher the number, the more protection you're going to have. So, for example, some things that may be appropriate for a uh, shade number of four or five, or if you're arc welding, that's usually going to be 10, 11, or higher on that. You're looking at a solar eclipse. I believe the solar eclipse classes, from what I can recall, are somewhere up in the 30s or 40s shade on there. You can't really see anything out of them. But what the idea is, is that you need to do an assessment, and assess what you have, what your workplace is, go analyze, then act. Apply the hierarchy of controls, apply safeguarding, right, and things of that nature. And then you're going to reduce the likelihood of an eye injury. Well, the only ones you're going to have after that are going to be from human error. And of course, whatever you have, train the person. I'm going to say this much is, uh, uh, I recently got a pair of prescription glasses and I wanted to get uh, ANSI Z87 glasses. I told that to the optician and he said, and he was like new at the job. He said, okay, well, we have these. And these, and he hands me a pair of glasses that are very fashionable, mimic an ANSI Z87 glasses, but they were not ANSI Z87. And he said, well, what's ANSI Z87? This is made out of safety glass. I said, look, whoa, whoa. safety glass, is some, that's something different. In certain areas of the, of the world, they still use glass at, for spectacles. And what that is saying is that these glasses, when it says safety glass, they're not going to shatter and go into your eye. Doesn't mean that they're rated ANSI Z87 glasses. He said, oh, I said, they didn't tell you that when they were selling glasses? No, they didn't. We've been selling, I said, I had to say Z87. And he said, okay, great. Before I know it, he's a listener to Safety Wars. And uh, what it comes down to is, if you're getting prescription glasses, they do have, they absolutely do have uh, glasses that are Z87 approved. And they are very fashionable. They're not the old-fashioned BC glasses that uh, people in the military used to joke about. So occupational hearing protection. I'm going to tell you right off the bat, if you're in a disaster, uh, wear your hearing protection the uh, iPhones and Android uh, phones do have an app on there for measuring sound levels. They're not; it's not NIST certified. I wouldn't sign a uh, now swearing that that's accurate or not. But use them if you're over 85 decibels on that. Absolutely, I would use hearing protection. I have uh, tinnitus. Everybody uh, who's been listening to the show knows that it's uh, a nightmare to deal with at times. Also, not something you want to mess with. Wear your hearing protection. That would probably be in what, you're, what you need for that. Let's talk a little bit more. We're going to cover some more material. We're going to do respirators tomorrow, respiratory protection, to finish out a Disaster Preparation Month. And I'll have a special message at the end of tomorrow. Chemical protective suits and high-visibility clothing. Real simple. I'm going to tell you this right off the bat. Please use the correct names for clothing. All right? Always do not use colors. 
I know of two injuries that are horrific because someone was told to use a yellow suit and they were using the wrong quote-unquote yellow suit. They were not using the prop. If you want the whole story, you're going to have to hire me. And I'll, because I'm, I can't put that story out on the air. But the, uh, basically, it, can, it came down to both situations. The people said use either a chem suit or a yellow suit. All right, one was yellow, the other one chem suit. They didn't define what that was. So what do you think happened? Of course, the person picked the wrong suit or was supplied with the wrong suit. And at both, one had superficial burns, chemical burns. The other one had fourth-degree chemical burns. Right? And you say, Jim, there's no such thing as a fourth-degree chemical burn. I say, Google it. That means that it went through the skin, went through the fat, and went into the bone and the underlying tissues. And it was extremely painful. You needed surgery. And it was just a nightmare to deal with. And the organization I dealt with still, till this day, calls things by colors. They didn't learn their lesson because it's easier to say. That. I said, well, do you realize that when you use colors that something like 25% of the people out there are colorblind to a certain degree? Oh, really? Yeah, really. That's why we don't use colors. We use proper names. And the other thing is the person doing the procurement should only buy the suits that are approved by the safety professional or whoever is appropriate there. They don't go out, oh, look, these yellow suits are $15 a suit. These yellow suits are $8. They're both yellow. I'm going to buy the $8 one. And then it's the wrong suit. That's why you use the correct words for those. Now, what? With, uh, basically, there are three ways a chemical protective garment will you can have problems. You can have pe- penetration. Or that means the bulk movement of material through some sort of imperfection, a hole, a gap in between the interstitial spacings, things of that nature. You can have permeation testing, right? Uh, that could be where uh, the movement of material from one side of the barrier to another or degradation where the change is in the material. Usually it's uh, either cracking or discoloring of the material, right? And through the seams. So what kind of seams do we have? Are they sewn? Are they surged and sewn? Are they bound? Are they taped? Are they double taped? All that goes in there. That all has to be done by a qualified, competent, and experienced person. You just don't go down to your local hardware store, your chain hardware store, and pick out, uh, oh, I'm going to buy a... uh, 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 a suit, and I'm protected from everything. It's not the way it hap- works. You can also have fire-retardant clothing or flame-resistant clothing, FRC. There are generally two, uh, 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 two types. The important thing is, is that this stuff gets certified by someone as from either NFPA 2112, which, or, which is for... Uh, by the National Fire Protection Association, and that is for, like, petroleum or uh, petroleum hazards, chemical hazards. And the other one is NFVA 70E, which is for high-voltage electrical applications. They both have all different types of levels of protection in there. Well, there has to be an assessment to it. Now, the scary thing is this, and you go on certain 
Facebook groups and other social media groups for the refining industry, and you go on certain websites, you could actually buy the labels. So if you're a safety professional and you see a shirt that looks like it came from a department store and it just has FRC labels on it, there is a chance that those were bought online and sewn on the shirts. Something you know, and they can yuck it up. Oh, we got one over on the safety person. Guess what? I, you know, got this. So you got to make sure. So how do we get around this? Workers should only be wearing the uniform the company is supplying them. If you allow outside FRC onto the job, you're going to get this situation from happening. I caught a couple of people over the years. I said, that's not FRC. I'm sorry, poly cotton short sleeve shirt is not FRC. I'm sorry, it ain't going to happen. No, because, uh, no, that sort of thing. Uh, check to make sure that it says fire retardant and everything else. And they all have to be laundered specially, right? There are special handling requirements for laundering all of this equipment. Some of them are inherently fire retardant, and they have less uh, requirements. You can basically throw them in the regular laundry, depending on what the label on it says, what the manufacturer says. However, let's say you have a treated material, you may not be able to uh, have that treated material as uh, no, in the regular laundry because what's going to happen? The fire retardant pro- uh, chemicals will come out. Uh, the other thing is that put, people like to put them in to use that fabric softener. A lot of these things do not allow fabric softener, just FYI. American Welding Society also uh, has, uh, uh, they don't have a standard, but they do require the American Welding Society uh, with their uh, safety standards. Yes, they do issue safety standards. Do require welding jackets and uh, other PPE for welding. And there are, they're pretty good resources uh, for that. I've read through them and they are, last I checked, they were free. I don't mean you pilfer them. I mean, they're actually free. The last type of protective clothing I'm going to talk about is high-visibility clothing. Back uh, Now, the uh, standards changed in roughly 2015. Most of the jobs I go on to, and a lot, even the warehouses, all of them have, uh, all of them have a requirement for fire-retardant clothing of some sort. I'm sorry, of... Uh, uh, high visibility clothing of some sort. And you have to make a decision with your, uh, with your uh, safety staff and everybody else. You have to make a decision what's appropriate. So there are, this is going to get a little confusing on air. There are three types and three classes. So you have type O off-road class one. Type O is... Uh, basically, it has reflective uh, material on it. You know it's class uh, ty- typo class one because there's a label on it. Always read the label. So they list it as if you're exposed to off-road uh, activities. They're not going to be in traffic. Then you have type R, known as roadway, right? And they have class two or three. And those are people that are exposed to traffic, Uh Essentially, uh, what are we looking at? Uh, we're looking at uh, 
your classic vests that are normally in, uh, I found a typo here. Hold on. Uh, no, you're typically, they are lime green or safety green or blaze orange. There is also in the ANSI standard for this, there is, and that's ANSI standard 107. Uh, there is also a, uh, color chart on there that what's acceptable for, uh, the colors. And what happens is these, co- uh, the class two, you does not have as much reflective material as the class three. So those are for like road construction work or flaggers. If you're going to be depending on where you're going to be in traffic directly exposed to it or not directly exposed to it. The, and then you have type P for public safety. Normally, those colors are a little bit different, maybe a little bit different, but it's still with the uh, reflective material on it, depending on whether it's class two or three and depending on what you're doing. So, for example, I'll see EMTs or police in blue, firefighters in red, and there are all different types of colors. The thing is this. What you need to do is find out, is call it out in your safety plan specifically what you're doing because this is what happens. There are companies out there that market high visibility clothing that it does not meet ANSI standards and the employees will buy it. And guess what? Someone gets hit, someone gets run over, there's an injury and it may have nothing to do with uh, PPE or the vest. Right off the bat, the employee is going to get blamed for not wearing the proper vest because they're going to say, that is a leading indicator uh, that they were not attentive to safety and that's your corporate culture. It sucks. Believe me, it happens. I've seen it happen. So I make it a point to actually call out this thing. This is what we're going to use. This is acceptable. This is in the contract documents. If you don't like it, it's in the contract documents. I don't want to hear anything uh, about I have to be a jerk sometimes. You know, we have to be a jerk with this. You could also have what is called a class E item where you could, uh, those are usually pants, overall shorts, rain pants, or gaiters. And class E makes everything a class three, uh, basically. A cla- uh, except for the O, which is still going to be an O. And you can have a non-rated high visibility. Usually people let people get away with a safety green or yellow and a blaze orange shirt or something without reflective material, if they're not going to be exposed to traffic, usually uh, workplaces will allow you to get away with that. So I wanted to thank everybody for connecting tonight. And we're going to uh, wrap things up here. And we will be seeing you tomorrow for our final disaster preparation program for the month. But it's not going to go away because this is disaster prep is all the time. It's not going to be only one time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, 
recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Good night, everyone.